0: All right, let's get into it today. Dennis Stewart, good afternoon. Always a pleasure to see you, sir. Very
1: nice to see you again, Mark, with your black T-shirt.
0: Absolutely. Well, we covered this a couple of hours ago. In here we have the climate control. (laughs) Outside... It's it's bloody cold outside. It is indeed. (laughs)
1: Talking to one that's just come down from the Hunter, it's quite cool up there.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, you you can just relax and luxuriate in here today. Thank you, Mark. Um, But not too much, though. We need that brain of yours fired up because we're continuing from last week, and you were talking Mm. about the contribution that the subcontinent, particularly India, made to traditional medicine, and we're going to continue that today.
1: I want to take it up. It's a fascinating topic, and it means so much to me.
0: Butter chicken, can we get that far as well? We may
1: get that far. Oh, I love the sound of that already.
0: Plus, if you have a question of a health nature, Dennis Stewart waiting for you as well on the phone. Good afternoon, Pam Nordswarf. Nords Wharf. You have some pancreas questions for Dennis today there.
2: Uh, good, good afternoon. Yes, mainly what I wanted to know is uh, do the herbs that help the liver, do they also help the pancreas?
1: Okay, look, my response to that would be depending upon what uh, herbs you're using even for the liver there are many herbs that are used in in our system of medicine uh, to address the, the liver the gallbladder and the vast majority of those uh, in my opinion would be quite okay to use um depending on what the condition was for for the pancreas
2: well but, well it's just that uh, you know about 18 months mm-hmm. 2 years ago yes. I had uh pain on the left side yeah. of my yes up- Body. yes and my doctor sent me for a scan yes. and she i didn't realize it at the time that she had pancreat- pancreatitis and yes. two question marks yes well, apparently it didn't show anything yes but, but what, what i'm sort of concerned about is the medication i'm on i've got type 2 diabetes yes and um, a few of the medications i'm on are sort of fighting against each other mm-hmm. i'm on um, i'm on forzogia mm-hmm is quite an experience. Yes. And uh, I'm on metformin. Yes. And diamicron. Yes. And glycoside, I think is the other one. I don't okay. think I've mixed
1: okay. Okay. that other.
2: Uh but But I've, another thing, too, I've also found out uh, that one of my medications can actually make your blood pressure go up. Mm-hmm. So each time I go to the doctor, I'm on telmosartan for that. Each time I go to the doctor, he takes my blood pressure. Yes. He says to me, oh, your blood pressure's high. So he does another test, and, you know, he does about three or four tests. And I feel like my arm's going to fall off. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, actually, if I'm on telmisartan for high blood pressure and it's not working, maybe I should be on something else. And he said, no, we'll increase it. And then I found out about this other medication can make your blood pressure go high. And I think, oh, okay, But I've really got to find something more or less to help me because I'm also getting very, very, very bad reflux.
1: Okay. The the first thing I would uh, say here, Pam, is that your GP's um, your primary um, manager... Yeah, I know that, yeah. ..and and he's trying to do his best for you. Yes. uh, And probably is. But what I would say is, look, if you are on multiple medications and any one of your major organs has a question mark beside it, even though there is no specific diagnosis, I would be pursuing it. And in all my career, I have said to people, look, if you're on multiple medications, make sure by consulting, particularly a pharmacist, to get an interpretation as to whether or not interactions are occurring. I suspect not, but still, that's your first step. Go to someone who is qualified probably more than anyone else certainly in my opinion more than anyone else to say look this is not good you need to talk to your doctor or you need to discuss this with with uh, someone so that yeah. is the first step it could be that the concern you have um could be related to the medication you're taking and yeah. i say, and i say this to all listeners as i've said to all my patients over 40 years um the first thing you, you, you have a right to know is, A, why you are taking the medication. B, is it absolutely necessary? C, uh, what are the good side to it, um, but are, are there, is there a downside to it? And if there is a downside to it, um, discuss whether or not there are other options that yeah. could uh, less complicated, perhaps.
2: Yes, well, I have to see my doctor probably good. next week. Good. Um, so I think I might take the list of what I'm on. yes. What i found out about different things and asking for yeah. a review.
1: Well, I, look, I think that's reasonable, and um, it's the same, by the way, if you're taking natural medications. Natural medications, if they're used unwisely, can be problematical also. So, yes. uh, if you uh, if taking a a, a a large range of what we refer to as complementary medicines, mm-hmm. that that needs to be also discussed with the well, I've, with
2: I've been actually. Mm-hmm. I've stopped it now till yes. I find out more about mm-hmm. it. I, I was taking um, liver detox, okay, um, which is St Mary's thistle, yes, and I, I think it's got, yeah. I don't know it's got artichoke yeah, in it yeah. or something like that.
1: Well, they they they're usually um, very very good and very safe herbs that I prescribe them regularly. And uh, herbs like that in any uh, liver detox uh, procedure, in my opinion, are probably the safest that yeah. you can use. And I have an opinion here that those herbs may also have some secondary benefits in helping normalise pancreatic activity, but that's uh, just my uh, observation. But they're very, very safe. I'd be surprised yeah. if I they were consequential I listened to your, your
2: podcast from a couple of weeks ago, yes. and yes. you mentioned St. Mary's, yes. thistle and... Um,
1: dandelion? Oh, uh, no,
2: no, dan- it wasn't dandelion. It was uh, slippery elm powder.
1: Oh, slippery elm, Yes. Well,
2: I'd forgotten about that.
1: My husband used to take it. Yes, it's look, people do forget about it, but it is one of the oldest and most reliable natural medications for treating all functional gut conditions, easing reflux like very few other herbs can do, normalizing transit time through the gut, and even lessening some symptoms of inflammation, urgency, etc., in the large bowel. Yeah, if, if actually, take,
2: uh, that, yeah. Yeah, that's very good. What I will do now is I will also have a talk to my pharmacist.
1: Yes, good, good, find good. Find
2: out if those two yes. um, complementary ones, yeah. if they will affect what I'm already taking. Yeah.
1: Look, I think that you're on the right track, and uh, don't forget, pharmacists are an exceedingly high-qualified group of people, and I'm glad in my opinion, that they're coming into their own. And I'll explain later on, perhaps, what I mean by that. But I have great regard for our pharmacists. I have helped many of them uh, coming into, come into complementary medicine. I know many of them personally. I consider them to be at the front line of healthcare, and I'm glad that we're utilizing their skills more than what we perhaps have done in the past.
0: Dennis, you want to sort of open up this discussion today, we'll continue it anyway, on on this Ayurvedic uh, medicines, everything that's sort of come out of the Indian, the subcontinent there, and a couple of those herbs in particular.
1: Yes, look, uh, for the sake of uh, listeners, uh, Ayurveda is a a term that refers to a health practice uh, from India that goes back many thousands of years, as I said a number of uh, weeks ago. It really means the science of life. And Ayurveda, as a system of traditional medicine, strongly uh, harnesses medicinal herbs, particularly uh, herbs from South Asia. And what's happening today is that uh, the effect of that culture on the West is accelerating. And here in Australia, in particular, our wonderful um, Indian uh, population is expanding, and I welcome that. I hold. Uh, Indian people in great regard, I love them, they've been so good to me over the years. Now, the use of Ayurvedic herbs is accelerating in in Australia as it is in other parts of the world. And as a result of that, it's impacting on the practice of herbal medicine in this country and also it's impacting on the production of products in this uh, country, Ayurvedic herbs, are now making their way into pharmacies and health food stores. I've been prescribing a selection of them for a number of years and three of them in particular, I hold in in awe, mainly as a result of my reading on them, uh, lecturing on them over many years and prescribing them. The three of them, the three most, uh, well I would say three of the most significant Ayurvedic remedies, the remedies of, of South Asia would be in in my opinion, a herb called shatavari, uh, 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 which is botanically known as asparagus racemosa. Um, the the uh, the herb called eclipta alba, that's its botanical name. Keep in mind, listeners, every herb has a botanical name and a common name. Eclipta alba has a common Indian name as Brillingaraj. I'm not trying to spell it, but I can pronounce it. With a B. <laughs> With a B. <laughs> and, and the third one that I have great regard for, is the herb botanically known as Withania Somniferum, but is known in India as Ashwagandha. And in much labeling in this country now, the, the, the herb is called up as Ashwagandha, but botanically it's Withania Somniferum. Each one of those herbs has a particular important role to play, in my opinion, in pretty significant health conditions. And I want to just say something about each one of them to put them in perspective.
0: All right. So, well, let's just quickly run through those. So, so the, the, the health conditions that yep. those particular yep. herbs can actually help well, with.
1: Well, look at the, the first herb that I mentioned. The first herb that I mentioned was the herb Shatavari. And Shatavari is the, the Indian um, pronunciation or spelling of it based on Sanskrit, which is the oldest language known to mankind. Shadavari is known as asparagus racemosa, and it has multiple benefits. But the major use of it, certainly from my reading and my prescribing, is to see its important role in assisting uh, in the condition that we would, we would refer to as functional infertility. That is where a couple's trying to conceive are having great difficulty. Many of them having spent uh, many thousands of dollars, even with government assistance, in harnessing modern Western uh, techniques on trying to precipitate or assist in um, fertility, but getting nowhere. In the context of that, herbs are frequently used, and in my experience, have still uh, an undiscovered brilliant role to play in particular conditions of infertility, particularly functional states, that is, where couples have been investigated, there are no major reasons as to why they're not conceiving, but they aren't conceiving, it's an idiopathic condition, it's suspected. In that role, one of the major herbs, and I emphasize this to fellow practitioners, pharmacists, even doctors that might be using herbs, the Shadavari is a major remedy used in Ayurvedic traditional medicine to assist in this condition. And it has taken the role or taken over the role of expensive, endangered remedies, particularly from uh, North America. We used to use a herb called false unicorn root from North America, which has been a gem in helping this same condition of uh, functional infertility. The herb now, like many herbs from North America, has become endangered. And in this context, Shadavari, asparagus race mosa, has a similar chemistry. I've written a paper on it. I think it was probably one of the first papers to be written on it in this country. And it has taken over largely from the unicorn root in my formulation for treating functional infertility. So whilst others would use the herb Shadavari for multiple uses. Its primary use, in my opinion, is in addressing this problem. And let me just finalize this by saying that the, word, the, the term Shadavari, uh, and I don't say this in any crude way, but the herb Shadavari means, in Sanskrit, she who can accommodate a hundred husbands. Now, what that basically means in that very figurative language, is that this is a herb that is distinctly related to the female capacity to bear children? It, it, I love the, the way that the Indian words are very very earthy and, and are very grounded and don't mess about. So that further emphasises my Dennis, point. Dennis, it sounds like they're very very something. That much, much <laughs> no, I can tell no, you. It's, it's it's a wonderful remedy.
0: G'day, Mark at Edgeworth. Um, saliva glands gone, mate, and a dry mouth. That's the story. Yeah.
1: Yes, it is. I had a skin cancer, and it spread to my lymph glands, so Mm. they took them out. So I was going to ask you, Dennis, is there anything that could help that you know of can help out with dry mouth? Are you using anything topical at present, Mark? Yes. Um, Uh, There's a biotin spray that I sprayed in my mouth, but very hard to get. Most of the chemists have rarely got it. Okay, because in my opinion, that is about the only way to go. There is nothing that I can confidently recommend for you to take. Yep. So it, it is a, a topical management that I think is what, you, what you're stuck with, so to speak. Have, yep. you, have you used any, anything that is glycerin-based? No. Okay. Glycerin is an interesting substance. It's, uh, I use glycerin as a base for many of my oral preparations for treating things like uh, mouth ulcers, uh, and, and uh, gum conditions, and the idea of the glycerin is that uh, it causes uh, what is um, put into the mouth, sprayed into the mouth, it causes a, a better adhesiveness uh, okay. of, of the actual medicinal substance. It, it is, if you like, something that helps the medicinal component in the mouth mix cling to the inflamed or ulcerated surface, Glycerin, and it's a significant proportion. Um, okay. what, what I would be doing, and your pharmacist would, would, would understand this, um, what I would suggest you do is seek out a compounding pharmacist, talk to him about a topical application that would contain a fair amount of glycerin, which you could perhaps spray or swish around, so to speak, in your mouth, um it uh it is not a solution to the problem, but it may have a useful transitory benefit um try that there's not much more than that. That I could I recommend. I knew this one would be a hard one for you. Yeah, it's, it's, it. not, it's not, not, it's not, it's not like a, a boil on your bum, so to speak. It's a bit, a bit more difficult to treat.
0: To be fair, Mark, that's why Dennis is here. See, that's why he gets paid the big dollars to cover the hard questions. Oh, if only. If it was, if it was just here, take some vitamin C for that. We could all do what Dennis yeah, where does. Where do those right?
1: questions go? <laughs> See how you go, Mark. It's a long shot, but. Um, our yeah, good pharmacist, a compounding pharmacist, is the is the person to talk to. A, a glycerin-based spray or a mouthwash, perhaps, has some benefit.
0: As long as it's not nitroglycerin, Dennis. <laughs> good one.
1: <laughs> good point.
0: <laughs> G'day, Pat at Ellamore Vale. Tinnitus is on your mind today. What's happening, Pat?
2: Um, I've got um, time to- <laughs> tinnitus. tinnitus I call it. Tinnitus. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Okay. And it's it's getting worse, it's getting oh, dear, really dear, really dear.
1: loud. Now, have you mm-hmm. had any have you had any investigation of it, Pat? Like, no, uh, not really. So you not really. okay? So your doctor has uh, just diagnosed it as tinnitus, um, but uh, you're you're unsure uh, as to uh, what it's related to, other than it's just annoying you the the ringing in your ears. Yeah,
2: it's it's just. It just rings continually.
1: Yes, There's noises yes. in my ears continuously. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Look, I, I recommend a couple of things here. Uh, yep. First of all, uh, even in in the mainstream medicine and even in our system of medicine, I would claim that this is not an easy condition uh, to resolve, but in, in a significant number of cases, uh, it can be alleviated, put it that way. And I'm entitled mm-hmm. to say that because over my many years in practice, I've... Uh, recommended this approach to people, and it has helped them to some degree. And it okay. is not it is not putting you in a position of being dependent on on a therapist. If what I'm going to recommend helps you, well, then you can continue getting it made up or prescribed for you wherever you are from any qualified person. The first okay. thing the first thing is to appreciate that uh, in in recent decades, um, the the uh, European Uh, exploitation of the tree ginkgo biloba has led to preparations based on the ginkgo. Now, let me just explain what I'm saying here. When I said uh, recent decades, it's perhaps a little bit longer, but um, the Germans in particular um, extracted the leaves of the ginkgo tree. The ginkgo tree is the oldest tree on the planet it mm-hmm. it barely survived. It nearly was extinct, except that it was found in a very remote part of China, and it was it went into resurgence. And now we can purchase it from our um, plant places, and grows very easily. It's a very sturdy and beautiful tree. I recommend people to, to, to get a ginkgo tree, but have a big yard if you want to grow it. Now the ginkgo, the ginkgo has uh, substances in them called ginkgolides. That's a technical Mm -hmm. term to refer to the chemistry of the ginkgo leaf. Now, the chemistry of that leaf has been shown to have a number of significant benefits. And one of the benefits uh, experimentally has been shown to be useful in uh, addressing tinnitus, uh, alleviating some of the symptoms, if not entirely getting rid of it. And I can say that because there are references supporting that, which I have depended on. And I would be suggesting therefore that again, you um, talk to your doctor, Mm -hmm. your pharmacist about getting some ginkgo biloba tablets, which the tablets are probably a better option because they're made on what's called a standardized extract of the ginkgo, which would Mm -hmm. give you the correct level of concentration you would take it in the dosage. That's your first line of attack. Now, let me just say that if you're going down the pathway of using the ginkgo, you're not going to get anywhere quickly. You've got to persevere with it and don't expect too much too soon. It's a long term management technique. But again, I say ginkgo has multiple benefits other than just treating uh, tinnitus. And so long as you are not on medication that has blood thinning characteristics, the ginkgo should be a good start.
0: And good afternoon, Sue at East Maitland. You have a question on the ginkgo for Dennis today, Sue. Yes, please. Hello, Sue.
2: Uh, Dennis, um, uh, I just heard you mention that uh, if you're taking blood thinners, you shouldn't take um, ginkgo. Is that correct?
1: Look, that's, that's um, the, the view that's been promoted for a long period of time and that it occurs in most of the literature on ginkgo. But I must say it is controversial. Uh, in other words, the the um, there's not a lot of cases to support the claim that the ginkgo could interact with other, um, what we call blood-thinning medication. Mm-hmm. But I always err on the side of safety yes. and say that uh, the chemistry of the ginkgo, some of it is what's called antiplatelet aggregating chemistry, um, which basically means that it is uh, something that, potentially can interfere with, with, um, with the blood profile. I have never observed that in practice, but when I'm talking about it, and uh, with patients particularly, I just mention to them that if they're on any major stuff, um, look, be, be cautious, run it past your GP. The benefit of it may not uh, be worth the slight risk, risk. that could be involved.
0: Lester at Charmhaven, Haven, you're still wanting to continue with the Indian vibe today, talking about Indian herbs in food. Now, Lester, it's nearly lunchtime. Come on, we're getting real hungry here. What's going on? Yeah, love my food and I love travel. And, good, um, good. I think, it, I think it was Hippocrates who said, let food be your medicine. medicine. Let,
1: absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I'm a bit uh, perplexed because my cousin is married to an Indian GP. Yes. And he, he tends to shun the spicy foods that I like. So I'm just wondering, mm. is, are there good herbs in
1: the food or can oh, we avoid some of them? Absolutely. Look, uh, sp- spicy herbs play a crucial role in, in Indian um, diets and they play a crucial role in stabilising and improving, in fact, the digestive chemistry. Um, in, 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 in Ayurvedic philosophy and thinking, Uh, spicy or warm herbs like ginger and cayenne those sorts of herbs they're considered to support what's called Agni A-G-N-I which is a Sanskrit term meaning the fire of digestion and uh, that's an important principle in Ayurvedic medicine and the use of those warming herbs we've talked about warming herbs before but warming herbs have an encouraging effect on promoting all the secretory activity of the gastrointestinal tract. Now there are there are uh, warming herbs and warming herbs. Some people uh, perhaps uh, can't can't handle some of the more um, well hot or spicy um, herbs, but there are lesser ones to work with than just say cayenne or ginger. But I would dissent from the general statement that um, you know they're problematical. Indian cuisine, in my opinion, is very much based on it, and Indian medicine, Ay- Ayurveda, is very much dependent on it. Um, so I would take issue with that and claim that uh, getting rid of uh, spicy foods from the diet um, has consequences, serious consequences. And I have said before, and I'll say it again, my personal belief is that the um, the lack of spicy warming remedies in the Anglo diet is the reason why we have so many cold, in inverted commas, conditions, respiratory, mucousy, congestive conditions, upper respiratory tract, catarrhal conditions, and also peripheral circulatory conditions. That's the reason I believe you start to include warming herbs into your cuisine or your foods in, in varying amounts and in varying intensity. And my experience and my reading and my lecturing teaches me that the, the introdu- introducing of those herbs which a doctor friend is, is querying has a major health benefit. Ne- it needs to be a lot of reading done, uh, in my opinion, about the lack of warmth or spice in the Western diet being associated with a spectrum of diseases which seems to be less in traditional cultures such as the Indian culture, where it's a crucial part of their diet.
0: Lester, just as we wrap, because we're going to run out of time here, Uh, you're talking about the Indian food generally. Is there a favourite dish for you? Like if you could just only have one for the rest of your life, what is it? (laughs) Uh, I I love dal bukhara, but I can't always get it, so I go for dal (laughs) makni. There you go. All right, thank you, mate. Appreciate your time, okay?
1: Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Lester.
0: And Dennis, you can always throw, I mean, spices into just about anything. You know where I love to throw spices and I just almost won't do it without now? It's just eggs, whether it's scrambled eggs or a fried
1: egg. Why not? Look, Mm -hmm. one thing that needs to be brought into the the conversation at this stage, and I know it's nearly over, is one of the most popular herbs that is now in our society and wasn't, in my opinion, there to the intensity that it is today 10 years ago is, of course, turmeric.
0: Oh, I tumeric,
1: use that all the time. Tumeric. Turmeric in the Indian diet is foundational. It's the basis of curry. Mm. As an interesting point to support what I said before about the undiscovered benefits of some of these so-called spicy warming herbs, it's been demonstrated that the Indian diet, with its rich presence of turmeric, has an impact on certain major pathologies. It's shown argued and presented that the incidence, say, of bowel pathology in Indian Indian people, uh, cancer of the bowel, other diseases of the bowel, that that is significantly less in the Indian diet than what it is in the Western diet and it is put down to the fact that turmeric in the diet regularly is a contributing factor towards the health of the large bowel. Oh,
0: sounds like I'm on the right track then. You are, mate. Dennis, we have literally run out of time, mate, so thank you for that. I know I'm looking on your, your run sheet here, and there's still plenty that you'll be able to cover next week in oh, this. Oh, there's a
1: good one to talk about. All right. A good one. In way. 15 seconds, what's it going to be? Well, we're going, we're going to talk about ashwagandha, <laughs> yeah. um, botanically known as Witsonius omniferum, mm-hmm. which is the male equivalent to Shadavari, And Chattavari, we said today, means she who can accommodate a 100 husbands. And the men one is? And the men one, the smell of a horse. We'll leave that with you this
0: afternoon. Thanks, Dennis. Have a great weekend, all right? Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.